Section 4 of The Strange Visitation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Strange Visitation by Marie Corelli. Section 4. A cold perspiration broke out all over Josiah's body as he found himself mysteriously compelled to meet the dreadfully glittering round eyes of the uncanny object that discoursed with him thus familiarly. Faintly he managed to stammer forth, "'Who the... are you?' "'You were going to say, who the devil are you, and why didn't you?' retorted the creature, rapidly untwisting one hairy arm from the embrace of one hairy leg, and diving into its red body-covering, from which it produced a small card on which certain letters danced and flickered like tiny dots of flame. "'Who the devil am I? Here the devil is my card. Promised you, the devil I would hand it to you, and so the devil I do. Name's quite easy, you'll find.' With shaking fingers, McNason gingerly accepted the card held out to him by the unpleasant-looking claw which served his visitor for a hand, and with great difficulty, owing to the constant jumping up and down of the inscribed characters, read, "'Professor Goblin, Hell's United Empire Club?' McNason's fingers shook more violently than ever, and he hastily dropped the card, which, as it fell, curled up like a firework bag in a Christmas cracker, emitted a clear blue spark of light, and vanished into space. "'The title of Professor isn't really mine,' explained the creature, blinking at him with its owl-like orbs. "'I took it!' Sinking back into his chair, Josiah covered his eyes with one hand and groaned. He must be very ill, he thought. He must be sickening for some fatal malady. His brain was going, and this terrible visitation, this hallucination of his senses, was the sign and effect of a mental disorder which had come on suddenly and was rapidly growing worse. How long, how long would it last? Lots of fellows do it, observed the goblin after a brief pause. Some compelling influence forced the panic-stricken millionaire to speak, to reply, in fact, to keep up conversation whether he liked it or not. "'Lots of fellows do what?' he murmured, feebly, still holding one hand over his eyes. "'Call themselves professors when they're not,' said the goblin. Here ensued a moment's intense stillness. Even the noise of the storm outside had, for that short interval, ceased. The fire burned silently, and not a breath stirred the air. Only the glowing tassel on Professor Goblin's cap waved to and fro as though moved by an unfelt wind. "'When I rang you up on the telephone just now,' resumed the goblin, but at this McNason jumped in his chair and uncovered his eyes, "'You rang me up?' "'You! You!' he stammered. "'Yes, I. Who did you think it was, eh? Your private wire? Oh, Beelzebub, nothing's private to me. I should ring up the Prime Minister out of his bed if I happened to want him.' McNason felt the muscles of his back stiffening in horror. "'You would? You would?' 
Certainly. I often use telephones, capital things. They have to do with the currents of the air, you know. And other folks work on currents of the air besides humans. Humans aren't the only people in the universe. Don't look so scared, McNason. I won't hurt you. As I remarked before when I rang you up just now, I wondered what title I should take to ingratiate myself with you. You like titles, I know. You've been thinking of a peerage for yourself. Quite right, true. Get all you can, McNason. Get all you can that money will buy. But as I never deal in honors now, I couldn't pass myself off as a duke or an earl. The man that sells these things is more in your line than mine. And I gave up brewing beer and running party newspapers long ago, so I could hardly be a lord. Uh, besides, lords are getting so common, frightfully common, McNason. In fact, lords are becoming commons. Oh, Beelzebub, excuse the joke. And as for a, a sir, oh, hooroo, hooroo. And the goblin, untwisting itself, beat its large paunch slowly in the fashion of a drum, evoking a dreary hollow sound which almost made McNason cry. Only a provincial mayor would accept it nowadays. I half thought I'd say I was a colonel or a general, but then you'd have taken me for an American, and I wouldn't be an American bounder for twenty next worlds. Then I decided I would be... Professor. A professor struck me as being quite the proper thing, nice-sounding, wise, and imposing. And anyone can call himself a professor, even a palmist who robs poor silly dupes of money for telling their fortunes which neither he nor anybody knows. Hooroo! Hooroo! What humbugs there are in the world, McNason! You know that. You're one. I'm not said Josiah indignantly, aroused to sudden defiance. How dare you say I am? How dare I? How dare I? crooned the goblin, clasping its legs again and rocking itself to and fro. Oh, Beelzebub, how high and mighty we are. I dare do anything, McNason, anything. I'll skin your soul. Josiah gave a smothered cry of terror. Such eyes as were now bent upon him were like nothing in the world, except railway signal lamps with the light in them very much intensified and enlarged. "'I'll skin your soul,' repeated the goblin severely. "'And you won't like the process. Do you know what the process is called, McNason? No? Then I'll tell you.' It's a blistering, flaying, scorching, boiling, steaming, tearing, crunching, blasting, stripping. Don't groan like that, McNason. A stabbing, cutting, piercing process called truth. It will rip off all the lies in which you are so comfortably wadded as lightning rips off the bark from a tree. And it will show you to be exactly what I say. A humbug, a pious fraud, McNason. A rich man who does no good with his money. A hard man who grinds down poor lives in ill-gotten gold. A cruel, avaricious, grasping, selfish man. And yet you go to church every Sunday and pretend that you're a Christian. 
Oh, hoo-hoo! Uncharitable, mean, narrow-minded, and hypocritical. You are anything but a good man, McNason, and I've come to tell you so. Gathering up his courage under this volley of abuse, McNason turned round in his chair and deliberately faced his accuser. You're a bad dream, he said slowly. You're the result of cold and indigestion. You're, you're nothing. But if you were anything, I should tell you. You are an impudent scoundrel and liar. I should tell you to get out of this room before you are kicked out. But you are only an illusion, a horrible, horrible fancy. And, and you'll go presently, in a little while, when I am better, when my brain recovers itself. Here he broke off, appalled at the indescribably hideous grimace with which his unpleasant companion favored him. "'Your brain?' echoed the goblin. "'Your brain? Indeed! Pooh! When you are better? Hoo-roo! You never will be better, never, not unless I doctor you! I must skin—' "'No! No!' cried Josiah, seized by a paroxysm of fear. Don't skin me! Anything but that! Don't! And his teeth clattered together. Don't skin me! Professor Goblin relaxed its writhing features and smoothed them into a kind of wise impassibility such as is seen on the physiognomy of a Chinese idol. Now answer me, McNason, it said impressively. Do you mean to say that you consider yourself a good man? Josiah looked at his inquisitor with one eye askew. As good as any man, he muttered, and better than most. Oh, and the dismal cry was like a hundred owls hooting in chorus. Conceited mortals deceive themselves. Here it patted its paunch echoingly. As good as any man are you, McNason, and better than most. Now, what have you done in order to get such a very excellent opinion of yourself, eh? McNason hesitated. Then the recollection of his vast wealth and of his wide-reaching business influence flashed across his mind and filled him with a sudden spirit of self-assertiveness. "'I've done a good deal in my time,' he said boldly. "'For one thing, I've made my own way in the world.' "'Ah, and without assistance?' queried the goblin. "'Without trampling any poor person down? Without sweating labor?' without cheating anybody less sharp than yourself? McNason was silent. You haven't made your own way in the world, went on the goblin relentlessly. The men who have worked for you have made it, and you screwed their lives down, McNason, screwed them down hard and fast to pittance wages in order to wrest every penny you could for yourself out of their labor. And you made a pile of money, too big a pile by far, McNason. No man in the world makes such a pile without having wronged his fellow men in some way or other. He has tried to tip the balance of justice falsely, 
But there's one thing about that balance, McNason. It's always rights itself. When a man is too rich, when a man has gotten his money through close-fistedness, harshness, and avarice, then we come. We of Hell's United Empire Club, we give a bloated millionaire fits, I can tell you, when he has got enough gold to gorge himself with expensive food and wine every day in the week if he likes, we take away his digestion. That's capital fun. We take away his digestion, and the doctors come and limit him to milk and soda. Oh, hooroo! And the goblin doubled itself up in a writhing tangle of delight. And when he marries for money only and gets an heir to the money only, we take away the heir. And then by and by he finds he can neither eat nor sleep, and that his money isn't such a valuable commodity as he thought it was, not even though it can buy a peerage. And when he is harsh and unkind and uncharitable, we skin his soul. I'm not uncharitable, cried Josiah goaded almost to frenzy by the darting menace of the terrible eyes that glared fixedly into his own. Not even you can say that. I give hundreds and hundreds of pounds away in charity. On subscription lists, yes, I know you have. And Professor Goblin nodded sagaciously. I've seen your name writ large along with the names of a lot of other bounders who want the world to see how much they've given to a hospital. But that's not charity. Not charity? echoed Josiah. Then what is charity? Shall I tell you? said the goblin. You've heard, but you've forgotten and it repeated in a low, almost gentle voice, Charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, Believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That's as unlike your charity, McNason, as heaven is unlike hell. Any devil can quote scripture, said McNason contemptuously. I hear all that in church. You hear, but you don't listen, said the goblin. You go to church every Sunday? I do. My clergyman relies very much on my assistance. Does he now? And the goblin put its head questioningly on one side. Financial assistance, of course. McNason gave a short laugh. <laughs> That's the only kind of assistance he ever asks for. Good man said the goblin thoughtfully. And you help him? Very considerably. Here McNason drew himself up stiffly with an air of importance. I'm a church warden. At this, Professor Goblin uttered a frightful yell. Hurroo! 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 It cried, 
and the dear old days, the sweet familiar word. And springing suddenly into the air, it turned a rapid somersault and came gravely squatting down again. Oh, Beelzebub McNason, I was once a church warden. Josiah trembled in every limb, and his tongue clove to the roof of his mouth in sheer panic. The alarming abruptness of his unwelcome visitor's movements almost paralyzed him with terror. Somehow, he thought, the creature might be a kind of fixture to the arm of his chair, an hallucination of his eye and brain which was likely perhaps to stay in one position. But its eldritch screech and somersault upset his logic altogether and turned him sick and dizzy. End of section 4 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.